Good evening, church family. The passage for tonight is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 31. One Corinthians chapter 12, verse one to 31. Here is the word of the Lord. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of, of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. 
Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? <clears throat> but eagerly desire, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Before I start, I'm gonna pray. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, there are lots of things in our hearts and minds tonight. Please would you set them aside and open us to your word so that we will be submissive to it and responsive to it. Thank you that you have spoken to us today and that what you say is clear and that we can understand it. And we pray that your spirit would be at work in each of us tonight, and we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Have you heard this? I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. If I had a hundred rand for every time somebody has said that to me, after they discover what my job is, um, I'd be a rich man. Spirituality is in vogue today. It's something that people are happy to talk about. Um, people are happy to be spiritual. Perhaps you come from a home where spirituality has been valued and encouraged. Spirituality is quite hard to pin down. What actually is it? I think most people, when they say, I'm a spiritual person, mean I'm not an atheist, I'm a decent person, um, I, I'm happy to acknowledge that there is a spiritual realm and a God or gods, and I don't merely believe in the material, only that which can be touched and seen. Sometimes they mean something more specific. They mean I meditate, uh, or I pray, or I levitate, or something. What we need to remember is that Paul's concern is that divisions had arisen in the church in Corinth. That's the problem. Last week, we saw it if you were here. If you weren't, it's on the podcasts. But uh, there, was, uh, there was a division that arose, a socioeconomic division between the haves and the have-nots. And it was expressed and seen uh, really shamefully during the Lord's Supper where some would be gorging themselves and even getting drunk during communion, um, while others went without. Paul, remember, if you were here last week, whatever else that is, it's not the Lord's Supper you're celebrating, he said. And so he's worried about division. We saw it the week before last, when he spoke about the danger of gender being divisive in the local church, when we looked at the first half of chapter 11. Today he's going to address the divisions that has arisen between those who view themselves as more spiritual than others. The church at Corinth was very interested in spirituality and displays of power. They lived in a, in a culture that valued power just like we do. And so, by all reports, their church was a very vibrant church, full of vitality. Um, it's the church that you wanted to be at. It was the big show in town. And they were grasping at the gifts that showed power, the personalities who could command the room, just like in our culture. That meant that some of the gifts that were exercised at church were valued more than others. And so divisions had formed. There were the haves and the have-nots when it came to the gift department. 
and some felt like second-class citizens for their gifts weren't flashy or ecstatic or upfront gifts. They were just ordinary behind-the-scenes, nobody-saw-them gifts. And so you can see how relevant this passage is to us today, can't you? For the churchscape in our own town is divided about church, about gifts in church, about power. Where is the action? And so we often hear, as I did last week after the service, that we are a church without the Holy Spirit. And so we need to take that seriously. We don't want to be missing out or robbing you of anything. And so this passage is really going to help us under three headings. First of all, truly spiritual. How do you know if you're spiritual? Um, I want you to look at verse 1 very carefully, if we can go to that, Johan. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, in the original language, the word gifts is not there. Um, let me show you how that verse, uh, how that word, spirit or spiritual, is translated in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Let's go back to verse 1. Thanks, Johan. So he's, he's not talking about gifts of the Spirit. He's not talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about spiritual people in verse 1. It might be that um, he means people who have really received the Holy Spirit. Spiritual people in the Christian context are those who are inhabited and possessed by the Holy Spirit. But he's not actually talking about how to identify spiritual gifts in the church. Rather, he's talking about how to identify spiritual people in the church. <coughs> that is, people who have the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13 of chapter 12. Look at what he says. Because maybe you've wondered if, you are baptized, if you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and whatever that means. When we were, for we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. An interesting way of putting it. Not only are spiritual people those who have been baptized sort of externally, but they are those who have drunk the spirit, is what Paul says. It's quite an unusual way of putting it. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Are you a spiritual person? How do you know? Well, the answer comes in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 12. Look at verse 2. You know that when some of you, sorry, when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Verse 3. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So there we have it. In verse 2, he reminds them that they were pagans that used to worship dumb idols. But a day came when they were enabled by the Holy Spirit to recognize Jesus as Lord. And so that's what he means when he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord unless they are spiritual, except by the Holy Spirit. Who are the spiritual people? They are those who recognize that Jesus is Lord. Now, let's not be silly about this. You can teach a parrot to say Jesus is Lord. It doesn't mean the parrot is filled with the Spirit. 
He's talking about meaning it, talking about being conquered by Jesus. The true test of spirituality is not your gifts, but is Jesus your Lord? And they are the spiritual ones. The mark of being spiritual is not measured in relation to the Holy Spirit, but in relation to Christ. And so if you have Jesus as your Lord, you are a spiritual person. The Dalai Lama is considered to be one of the most spiritual people on the planet. Find a five-year-old kid who has Jesus as their Lord, and Paul would say that kid is truly spiritual. The Dalai Lama worships dumb idols. He's not spiritual. And so can I ask you tonight as we begin, have you acknowledged Jesus as your Lord? That is, have you surrendered your life to him? Has he conquered you? Are you living for him and for his name rather than for you and for your name? Are you living for his kingdom or are you living for your kingdom, building it at university? It's such an important thing. If you really want to be a spiritual person, it begins with acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord. And if you have done that, it is because you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. The evidence that you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit is not that you've spoken in tongues. It is that you have Jesus as Lord. And so who are the spiritual people? They are those with Christ in his right place. There's no second step that needs to be taken. <clears throat> Some Christians will say to you, well, okay, you've come to Jesus, now you need the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard that. But not according to Paul. You can only come to Jesus if you have the Holy Spirit. <coughs> and if you have the Holy Spirit, then you will come to Jesus. And so we are united, friends, not because we won the World Cup. I watched the World Cup in Jamestown last night. It was an incredible experience trying to get home afterwards. <laughs> the streets were full of people rejoicing. felt like New Year's Eve or something big had happened, you think. Um, what amazed me, what was lovely to see, was how united South Africans were. How many were in the Nilsi last night? Hands up. I'm sure it was stunning at the time. Um, you know... I'm sorry to spoil your fun, but that kind of unity is going to last five minutes, isn't it? By the middle of the week, we're still back to worrying about load shedding and fighting with each other and noticing all of the differences between us. It's great to have that little taste of unity, but it's not lasting. Here is lasting unity. If somebody living in outer Mongolia who doesn't speak my language and who looks different to me and is totally from a totally different culture to me, if they have fallen on their knees in front of Jesus as their Lord, they are my brother. We're united. And that's permanent. And it's big. And it transcends time. And it goes with us into eternity, unlike the Rugby World Cup, as wonderful as it was. And so we are united if we have declared Jesus is Lord. However... We are not the same. What are we to make of the differences between us when it comes to gifts? 
And that leads me to my second point, one trinity, many gifts. I want us to notice tonight who it is that gives the gifts. <coughs> You'll see this in verses 4 to 6. Have a look. I'm going to read 4 to 6 for us. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, that is Jesus. Verse 6, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work, the Father. Can you see the Trinity there in verses 4 to 6? Who gives the gifts? The Spirit, the Son, and the Father. They are not just the gifts of the Spirit. They are the gifts of the Trinity. In Ephesians, there is a list of gifts that are called the gifts of Jesus. In Romans, as you experts know, if you come on Thursday nights, there is a list of gifts that is called the gifts of God. And so the gifts are from God. Are the gifts from God? Are the gifts from Jesus? Are the gifts from the Spirit? Yes. They are the gifts of the Trinity. For God has the sovereign right to give gifts, including, by the way, the gift of his Spirit, who we have all drunk, if we have acknowledged that Jesus is Lord. No one can dispense the gifts except God. And like everything with God, they are wonderfully varied and diverse and rich. And what do these differences between us matter? Remember, we are united in saying together, Jesus is Lord. But we are also different because we're given different gifts. And what do the differences matter? Does the fact that some have got upfront gifts, public gifts, and are always in the limelight, and others have got gifts that are used behind the scenes, <clears throat> and nobody ever sees or thanks them or anything like that, do those differences actually matter? The fact that there are differences between us, Greek or Jew, slave or free, male or female, South African or New Zealand. Do those things matter? Well, if you're in New Zealand, it does actually matter this morning. <laughs> but do those things matter? The diversity that God has injected into the Christian church. The differences between us, friends, are a matter of indifference. It doesn't matter. Because we are united under the Lordship of Christ. That's what matters. Have you acknowledged that Jesus is Lord? I want you to notice the purpose of the gifts in verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, that is the gifts of the Spirit, is given for what? The common good. That's what the gifts are given. The reason for the gifts of the Spirit, of the Trinity, is for the common <clears throat> good, which gives us a clue as to how the gifts are to be used. Our gifts are not for ourselves. Our gifts are for the common good. Truly spiritual people are people who don't come to church for themselves and for what they can get out of church. Mature Christians come to church in order to serve their guts out, using their gifts for the good of others, whether or not those gifts are recognized, acknowledged, or thanked. It's always clear when somebody is using their gifts for selfishness. If your motive for using your gift is the common good, then you won't be grumpy when you aren't thanked or acknowledged. 
if our gifts are for the common good, you won't stay away when you're not on duty. What an utterly self-centered way to think. The gifts are for the common good. They're not about us. And so we will be cheerful and willing and eager and we'll be happy to make sacrifices like arriving early or staying late <clears throat> or giving up a night of Netflix so that you can prepare your Sunday school lesson. And so the gifts are given for the common good. There is unity in diversity. Look at the wonderful variety of gifts. We're given nine gifts in verse 8. Have a look at verse 8. <clears throat> to, one there is given, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that same Spirit. Are you getting the point? The same Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. Let's not miss the point. The point is one God at work in all of his people differently who are united under Christ working for the common good. That is the vision of the church. And that's what Paul is hoping will happen at Corinth, and it's what we ought to be aiming at here at Stellenbosch. What a rebuke this would have been to the Corinthian church. All trying to outdo each other for the limelight. Some elevating themselves, others envious because they didn't have those gifts, or they didn't get thanked, or they didn't get the microphone that week. The spectacular gifts had center stage. People were looking down their noses at those that didn't have the spectacular gifts. It was a mess. It was full of divisions and arguments. And Paul is saying to them, look, there are different gifts from the Spirit given to different people for different kinds of service, different kinds of works and displays, but the same Spirit. What are you complaining about? No one is less spiritual than anyone else if they say Jesus is Lord. Isn't it wonderfully democratic? The, the playing fields are level. And so the differences are really matters of indifference. How absurd to feel proud about a gift that you've got. It's a gift. It had nothing to do with you. It was given to you. How absurd to feel inferior because of the gift that you have been given us. All of us, when we come to Christ, come with empty hands. We can't feel inferior or superior because of receiving something that doesn't originate from within ourselves. There is unity in diversity. Now, what are we to make of this list in chapters, in verses 8 to 10? For those gifts, do we see those gifts at Christ Church? I don't, I don't think we do. So what's going on here? I need to make three points about the list of gifts quickly as a sidebar. You ready? Point number one. The list of nine gifts given from chapter from verse eight to ten is not an exhaustive list. That's the first thing. Um, we are given another list in one Peter. We're given another list, as I mentioned, in Ephesians, another list in Romans. There are four or five lists of gifts in the New Testament. And there are gifts on those lists which aren't mentioned here, and there are gifts in this list that aren't mentioned there. It's not meant to be exhaustive. It's not prescriptive. 
It's not saying in order to be a mature church, you need to have these nine gifts, tick, 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 tick. It's not saying that. It's just giving examples of gifts. Paul's not saying to us that unless we have these exact gifts, we're an immature or an incomplete church. That's the first point. Second point, it's impossible for us to know what the gifts actually were. For example, what does it mean to have the gift of discerning the spirits? We're not told. We're not given a definition. Why do you think you know what that gift means when we are not told what it means? Um, in verse, uh, verse 9, what does he mean by the gift of faith that is given in the church? Aren't all Christians required to have faith? You can't become a Christian without faith, yet there are some who have a gift of faith. What does that mean? We're not told. And so we need to be humble about trying to work out what those gifts are. We, we've got to remain agnostic about them because we're not actually told what they are. Why do we automatically assume that tongues means ecstatic supernatural language? It doesn't say it. In fact, the word that is used for tongues is the word that is used for natural language in 1 Corinthians 12. It's the same word used to describe language elsewhere in the Bible. Why can't the gift of tongues be the gift of being a linguist or the gift of picking up language quickly? Wouldn't that be helpful to Vim and Kiki who work in an Arabic-speaking country? God could, they have to slave away in language school. Wouldn't it be great for God to give them the gift of tongues? And they could learn Arabic overnight. Cross-cultural work. Wouldn't it have been amazing if Ivana could speak Sutu when she went on her mission? Her dad is in mission, goes into Central Africa on mission and often laments the fact that he can't speak French. He's often in Francophone Africa. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God gave him the gift of tongues? so that he could learn French. We need to be careful about assuming that we know what the gift is. We are never told a definition. The point is that different people have different gifts and all come from the same spirit. The point is not the list of gifts. The point is the spirit gives gifts as he chooses, as he apportions. All come from him, from the Trinity, Nobody is to be looked down upon or rejected or elevated and put on a pedestal for their gifts. Nobody is to be applauded because they've got a particular gift that is in the limelight. No one must think that they are more spiritual. No one must think that they are less spiritual because they are the haves or the have-nots when it comes to gifts. No, there is no Christian who is less or more spiritual than another if you are measuring spirituality by, Jesus is Lord. It strikes me, in the churches that I've been involved in in 26 years, we often get told that we don't have the Holy Spirit. Um, because we don't speak in tongues. It's very interesting. But can you see that actually... the the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit is that you say, Jesus is Lord. And so that needs to guide us in that discussion. The Holy Spirit gives unity as he gets us to acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord. The Holy Spirit brings diversity 
as he distributes the gifts according to his wisdom. And so thirdly and finally, one body, many members. In some churches today, like in the time of, of the Corinthian church, the gifts divide the room into those who do and don't belong. Paul wants us to remember that God, if God has baptized you by his spirit, if you have drunk the spirit, then you do belong. And so verses 15 and following, he wants to address two attitudes. Are you ready? Number one, he talks to those who say, I don't belong. Verse 15 and 16. And number two, he's going to speak to those who say, yes, you don't belong. Can you see both sides? The one lot are saying, oh, I don't have any gifts. I'm worthless. I can't contribute anything. The others are proud, and they are feeling superior, and they are saying, yes, you don't belong. So look at how he does it. Let's first look at I do not belong, verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, for that reason, it would not stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, listen to this, if you are feeling inferior tonight, Verse 18 is your verse. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. It doesn't matter if you were sent off the field 10 minutes before the end of the game. When your team wins, you are part of it. Right? Stop feeling inferior. I don't belong. You do belong. I'm just a stinky left pinky toe in the shoe. That's okay. If we didn't have you, we wouldn't be able to balance properly. You belong. We need you. Stay where you are. Okay, what about those who are feeling superior? Yes, quite right. You don't actually belong. Because you don't speak in tongues. You don't have the ecstatic experiences that I have. You're an inferior Christian. You need to go back and do something about it because you haven't entered into the full joy of being a Christian. There are lots of people that think like that. Look at what Paul says to them. Verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable, which anybody who has had an appendix out will tell you. It can cause a lot of trouble when it's not going well. And the parts that we think are less honorable, verse 23, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Here's a word to those who feel superior. Verse 24b. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be, he has his great concern, no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, 
every part rejoices with it. Can you see what Paul is saying? To the person who feels superior, who's looking down on others, who thinks that they are special because their gifts are upfront gifts or public gifts or ecstatic gifts, whatever it is, Paul says, God put the body together. It's got nothing to do with you. It's all for one and one for all. They do belong. If you feel inferior tonight because of your lack of gifting, the God's word to you tonight is you belong. Don't believe it. If you feel superior tonight because you have got extraordinary gifts, humble yourself. It's got nothing to do with you. God is the one who gives gifts, and they do belong. God's Spirit at work in each of us, bringing us to Jesus as Lord, and at work in each of us differently in the distribution of gifts. Now, how do you work out what your gift is? Um, I've, I've had a lot of people ask me that question over the years. I don't know what my gift is. I'm keen to serve, but how do I work it out? I think it's the wrong question to ask because it puts me in the middle. I think the question to ask is, is there a need somewhere? Does somebody need something? Is something being overlooked? Are there people who are new who aren't being welcomed or included? Can I do something about that? Can you see the difference? It's not, well, what's my gift? Let me have an aptitude test, and then I can work out what the things are that I feel like I could do in the church. It's not that. It's, will you look for a need? Will you look for a needy person? And will you go and serve? And you may discover that in actual fact, that is your gift. Where is the need? Where can, where can you serve? What isn't being done that needs to be done? Tonight, during band practice, we needed somebody with the gift of opening windows. It was so stuffy in here. And so I asked somebody to do it. I can't remember who it was. Peter, I think I asked him to do it. And he did it for us. He served us. David was a, a friend of mine who I um, served alongside many, many years ago in a church that I once served at. David um, was an awkward guy. Um, he was in his 20s. He, was, he struggled socially. And he had a speech impediment, quite a severe speech impediment. He stuttered really badly. But he loved Jesus. He loved God and God's people. And he wanted to serve. So he joined the youth leadership team. Well, you can imagine how that went because of how unforgiving high schoolers are of people with speech impediments. So that didn't work out very well. So then he said, well, maybe I should join the Sunday school team. Maybe the children will be less judgmental of me. You're right. <laughs> so that didn't work out. And so he didn't give up. He was a remarkable guy. He loved Jesus. He wanted to serve, tried different things. Do you know where he landed up? He landed up ministering to a group of refugees who couldn't speak English. And what he discovered was that because he had to speak slowly to them, his speech impediment disappeared. And he had a wonderful time for a number of years of fruitfulness with a group of non-English speaking refugees who he actually managed to connect with because God used him like that. It's a lovely example. 
of somebody who didn't wait to be asked, didn't wait to be approached or acknowledged. They just wanted to serve God. Can you see the heart, the attitude? And God gave him a ministry that led to wonderful fruit. He wasn't suited to that task. He didn't give up. He tried that. He wasn't suited to that. He didn't give up. He tried that. And God honored his heart. That's the attitude that Paul wants in the church at Corinth, in the church at Stellenbosch. Look for a place to serve. Friends, we are not to judge people's spirituality by their gifts. Can we be clear about that? The right way to assess one another is one question. Is Jesus your, your Lord? And so let's not look down on and let's not look up to each other because of gifting, for that is the wrong measure. If you're part of us, you are needed. We need you and the gift that God has given you. We're not to find our significance in our gifts. Our significance is in what Jesus has done for us, not in what we do for Jesus. We use our gifts to serve others for the common good. Second last comment. Let's use our gifts for the good of others. Let's be determined that we will do that. Some of you have been sitting on your hands for too long. It's time to start serving. You need to speak to Sean. You need to speak to Lauren. You need to speak to Trudette. If you want to start serving, let's get going. And let's have other people and their best as our goal and not just what we are getting on a Sunday night. Let's keep coming. Let's look for places that need help and where we can serve. And lastly, can I say this to you? As I started, I want to end. Please, will you say, Jesus is Lord? Not just with your mouth but with your heart, for that is where your journey with God begins. Now, what would you like to ask? Who's got a question? Um, now, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I'll show you the most excellent way. A better translation of verse 31 is, you eagerly desire the high gifts, but I'm going to show you a better way. Chapter 13. Come back next week. Okay.